0: And welcome to Louisiana Considered on a Wednesday, I'm Adam Voss. Just ahead on the program, we'll speak with Opera Louisiane, who is presenting its holiday performance this weekend in Baton Rouge. We'll talk with the opera's managing director about the 20th century one-act English language work they're performing and what that means for making the opera accessible to today's audience. But first... Today, December 14th, is the 10-year anniversary of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting when a gunman entered an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut, and took the lives of 20 young children and six staff members there. In the years that followed, Sandy Hook has never left the national conversation, especially when it came to discussions of gun violence and the spread of misinformation. This year, New Orleans-based photographer Robert X. Fogarty and his storytelling organization Dear World traveled to Newtown, Connecticut, to speak with survivors about their experience in an artistic and immersive experience that they're calling the portrait process. For more on this project, we're joined by Robert X. Fogarty. Thank you for being here, Robert. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. And we're also joined by one of the students who participated in this project, Sandy Hook survivor Ashley Hubner. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me.
0: And just a warning for our listeners before we get started uh, that this conversation does contain descriptions of gun violence. So keep that in mind as you listen. And as always, you can listen later at LouisianaConsidered.org. First off, Robert, what is this? project. It's a photography project. It also involves interviewing. How did you do this? What was the process?
2: Absolutely. I like to call it like an interactive storytelling experience. It has three parts. The first is about a 30 minute uh, facilitation where I can, you know, our team can do this in groups or, you know, with the Sandy Hook students, we did it in pairs and we take them through a simple exercise around this idea that today you're an artist. Um, We often get a lot of people chuckling, being like, well, I could never be an artist. And uh, we use that to kind of our advantage to help them see themselves differently. Um, And then we have them sketch themselves. Um, So the first part of this, this idea of reflecting on who you are and how you want to be seen. Uh, And then we move into the second step, which is these two pairs of people now uh, photograph each other. And we've set the lighting, we've set the cameras so really all they have to do is be inquisitive and curious about each other. And then the third part is a, is another kind of uh, a finishing step where we came up and we come up with inquisitive questions that they ask each other um, kind of as peer-to-peer journalism. So that's our three-step process of the portrait process.
0: So Robert, you've worked on a lot of storytelling projects over the years, where did the idea for Portrait Process come from? What does this project actually look like? Why did you think it would be a good fit for, for Sandy Hook survivors?
2: Yeah, Adam, thank you so much. You know, I, We started in New Orleans almost a decade ago with our first method, which is called the Brain Tattoo Method, and it's we're kind of known for beautiful photographs where people write and marker uh, a short message on their skin and you know it felt like i was doing that for a long time and kind of wanted to start a new method that felt interactive and used art to connect people uh, more deeply and so the portrait process is what i came up with and our team came up with and it's it's really rooted in this idea of like how we see each other and we have the participants sketch each other as one of the big uh, sketch sketch themselves as one of like the 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 Uh, key elements.
0: And this is something you've been doing in, it started in New Orleans, right? You use a bunch of New Orleans people for this and you've, you've turned it into a serial thing.
2: Absolutely. So the, the Sandy Hook series, we, you know, we had a crew that included several New Orleans people from uh, a, a great producer named Maya Penn to our director of photography Uh, Alex Hennon-Payne, we had Lucas Porterfield, who's our chief lighting technician, and our audio person is a guy named Thomas Walsh. So uh, we had four New Orleans people and myself, so five people uh, uh, in New Orleans helping on the Sandy Hook series.
0: I want to go to you, Ashley, and talk a little bit about your experience with the portrait process. Rather than being interviewed by an outside source for this, you and your friend interviewed each other. Uh, What was that like and what did you can't take away from that?
1: So I've been interviewed a few times by just some like news sources and people, and it's always kind of been a little impersonal, I would say. But when I got to do it the way this was set up and I was with my best friend, it made it really um, intimate and unique. And I honestly had a good time, which is weird considering why we were there, but I think it made it so much more comfortable and I could be so much more honest because I knew she was there and I had the support there. And like I said before, it just made it really fun. And I think that's really important. It's almost like you bounce things off each other and when they come up with something, it makes you think of something, which makes them think of something and you're just able to answer the questions in the most open way you possibly can.
0: Ashley, I know that Sandy Hook, this was an experience that was traumatic for you, for a lot of your fellow students. Could you describe for us your memories from that day 10 years ago? What what stands out?
1: It all started when we were in morning meeting, which is when we would gather up in a circle as our class and we would sit on the rug And we kind of just like greet each other and say good morning and go over our plans for the day. And so we were in the middle of that. And that's when the um, bullets started and the shooting started happening. So we had all gotten up. And ran to the cubbies. I don't know if someone said cubbies or we just, like, knew what we were supposed to do. Mm. But somehow we ran. We all ran to the cubbies. And someone knocked over a chair because it was so early that we hadn't even taken all the chairs off the desk yet. Then we were in the cubbies. And we were all smushed, like, right up against the side of the wall where the cubbies were. And it was really tight and really hard to breathe. And I remember the girl in front of me had her elbow like like pushing into my stomach and all i could think about was like when i'd be able to move and get up because it was so uncomfortable and we were all trying really hard to be quiet even though most of us if not all of us were sobbing um so during that we could actually hear the noises on the loudspeaker because um it had been switched on because someone was trying to warn us, Mm. but then she was killed. So it just stayed on while everything was going on. So we were able to hear the gunshots and all the noise over the loudspeaker. And while that was going on, we heard the firemen on the roof. And so we heard footsteps on the roof, and we didn't know what that was. The noise freaked us out, we didn't know what was going on. And because we were all freaked out, my teacher tried to drag. um, She, like, very carefully dragged a desk over from the middle of the room. And she pulled out a book that was inside of the desk. And she tried to read it to us. But because she was so upset, the book was just shaking. Her hands were shaking. And she was crying. And it was just not working. So after we had, like, tried to calm everyone down with... The reading and we had passed around a water bottle because so we were all dehydrated from crying. And we had these stuffed animals that we'd bring in on Fridays and we had a stuffed animal farm. So we had passed out some of the stuffed animals and we were holding them. So after what seemed like forever went by, the police came and knocked on our door. He like announced himself as police. He said, like, this is the police or whatever. But everyone in my class, except for our teacher, we all screamed, no, like, like, please don't let him in, no. Because even though he announced himself as police, we had no idea if that was the shooter or not. And we didn't want to be gunned down like our fellow classmates. And that was terrifying. But, he, but we ended up opening the door. And once he opened the door, we were then lined up and told to place our hands on the person in front of us' shoulders. And we walked out. And then our next step was to go down to the firehouse that happened to be down the street and so after we were accounted for i went off to find lauren my best friend so we found my sister and i gave her a big hug and i just i felt so relieved and just relieved to have lauren and relieved to have my sister and everything was okay for now you know hmm. because even though it wasn't okay we, like we had her and we had i had my sister, and I had Lauren, and the people I cared about, like, I knew they were okay, and that's really what mattered.
0: I certainly appreciate your willingness to tell your story and to to go into it in, in detail. I know that that is a lot of emotional work to do that, you know, even 10 years afterward. We're speaking with former Sandy Hook student and survivor Ashley Hubner. We're also speaking with Robert X. Fogarty, photographer and founder of the storytelling organization Dear World, We're talking about this narrative storytelling project for survivors of that mass shooting 10 years ago. Can I ask you one more question, Ashley, about the healing process? Can you tell us, you know, there are a lot of traumatic experiences people go through and they have to heal from them, be it school shootings or all the other violence that we have in our nation. Can you tell us what things help you heal from something like this and what things don't help you heal?
1: Um, so I would say when recovering from a trauma like this and just trauma in general, for me personally, I journal a lot. And especially like when I was younger, I used to do a lot more because I would have all these emotions and I just did not know what to do with them because they were so strong and overwhelming that I just felt like I was going to explode so I have this section of my notes app where I journal all my feelings, Sandy Hook related or not, and it just helps me process them to myself and kind of see how things really are out loud and not just in my head. And also just like therapy, because I started going to therapy my sophomore year and it just helps so much, not only being able to process, but just being able to talk to someone I mean, it makes such a difference and people don't realize. And then also, I think doing all of these like interviews and like these papers and these projects that I've been doing for Sandy Hook, I honestly think it is kind of therapeutic and it does help me heal and process.
0: Ashley, in the video, your friend asks you if you had to give her a gift, what would it be? And you answered a rock. What's the story behind that? Why is that?
1: Yeah, so I said a rock because we had this rock, but in our friend group from, like, freshman year. And so it's kind of something that has always resonated with us. And when I think of a rock, it's just something that can all, like, it'll ground her and I could give it to her. And it could just be there for her all the time and support her. And it can be the thing that she needs it to be. And that's why I would give her a rock because it has everything that you possibly need.
0: So Robert, this tragedy happened 10 years ago, the gun violence epidemic is far from over. You're based in New Orleans, a city that itself has a big crime and gun violence problem. For any New Orleanians who watch these portrait process interviews, what do you hope they'll take away from it?
2: What a wonderful question, especially in the kind of, you know, the the concepts of you know, New Orleans kind of day in and day out gun violence and these kind of mass events like Sandy Hook, you know, I think there's so much nuance in, in, in how people are affected by violence. But what I would say anything, right, is that we must take the, the, the grief and the trauma of people who are survivors or, or, or victims of of gun violence really seriously. And, um, I will just always continue to, as, a, as someone who loves New Orleans and then has now uh, worked with a lot of people in these mass shooting attacks, it is just this concept of, like, it, it doesn't happen anywhere else. And at what point are we going to soberly uh, look at what are we going to do about it? Because you know what, Adam, listening to 17-year-old kids Talk about losing their childhood and talking about being in, in, in uh, like a really, like a wise space around grief and trauma was at one point just so overwhelming with like their, their, their maturity. And also, I kept thinking like they don't, they shouldn't have to be this mature at 17. I just can't be more, I wanna say, in awe of these 17 year olds who went through a, an experience when they were seven and their, their ability to communicate very difficult things. And to watch 10, 17 year olds, well, we had nine 17 year olds and one 19 year old express themselves with clarity, elegance, maturity, uh, was it was really a sight to be seen.
0: Robert X. Fogarty, a photographer and founder of the Dear World Storytelling Project. Thank you for being here, Robert. Happy to be here. And Ashley Hubner is a former student at Sandy Hook Elementary School and survivor of the mass shooting there 10 years ago. Ashley, thank you for your time as well.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Considered. Opera Louisiana is presenting a holiday performance Saturday and Sunday, December 17th and 18th in Baton Rouge. The opera is Amal and the Night Visitors. It's an English language opera originally premiered in 1951 by the NBC Opera Theater in New York City. It's an opera in one act and being a relatively modern composition in English, it refutes some of the presumptions the average listener might have about opera. To tell us more, we have Catherine Frady, Managing Director of Opera Louisiana with us. Thanks for being here.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, tell us a little bit about Amal and the Night Visitors. This is a different telling of the story of the Magi. It's a Christmas time story revolving around the Nativity.
3: Absolutely. So, it's a wonderful holiday opera. It is about a crippled boy who is living with his mother, and they are very poor. And um, he loves to play music, and he's very happy, even though he's, you know, Disabled um, and hungry, but they are visited by three kings who are on their way to see Jesus, and who just happen to stop by Amal's house and knock on the door. And so there's a, a little bit of comedy there as as they come in, and and Amal tries to explain to his mother, you know, who is actually knocking at the door. And um, in the end, he is able to be healed. So it's it's a beautiful a beautiful story. It's only about 50 minutes long. It's in English. Um, something for everybody. It's really told from the perspective of the young boy, Amal. And so everyone else is, um, you know, children think that, you know, their parents are very big and very large and very loud, you know, so we're trying to amplify the other characters in the way that that Amal actually visualizes them.
0: So this is, as you mentioned, a one-act opera. It's in English. It's not, you know, three hours long, and it's not in a language that most of us can't speak that might do something for accessibility for the average modern audience. What's the reasoning behind bringing such a modern opera to Baton Rouge for Christmas?
3: Well, you know, one thing that opera in general is trying to do in our industry is bring opera to the people and make it more accessible. So one thing about Amal is that it's short and the music is fun and you'll be able to hum tunes afterwards and also the storytelling is in a language that you can understand and so all of those are great reasons to to try them all if you've never tried an opera you'll you'll love this Um, it's a great first step into what opera can be
0: yeah so it sounds like these are all factors that you are considering for as you're saying bringing opera to the people what else is the opera doing to bring opera as you say to the people
3: so we have several programs. One of them is our Young People Operas program, which is actually taking opera into the schools and to teach elementary school students about what opera is. And so that's one of our programs. We also are doing two uh, new works in March the end of March and beginning of April, Approaching uh, Ali, which is by composer DJ Spar, who actually lives here in Baton Rouge. And this is a story about Davis Miller, who, um, as a child, had some traumatic experiences that he was going through and became inspired by Muhammad Ali, and that Muhammad Ali became his inspiration to keep going. And uh, as he grew up later, he became a writer and actually got to interview Muhammad Ali. So it's about their story. Um, and that's also just one hour in English. And then we're pairing that with um, a piece called Rocking Horse Winner, which is by Gareth Williams. And it is also about a young boy who has developmental challenges and has an emotionally distant mother and how he overcomes that. So we have a lot of children in our shows this, this season, which is which is great.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about you know what the decisions were when you came up with the season?
3: Well, actually, Among the Night Visitors is a piece that Opera Louisiana has done uh, for several years um, in the past. But this is the first year that we're at the Manship Theater. It's always been done at First Baptist Church or other local churches in town. So we're very excited to be bringing it into a theatrical space. And then the other two pieces, you know— In general, as I've mentioned, the opera industry really wants to make opera accessible. And it's a great opportunity for us to do that by telling stories that are about people that we know and also utilizing a composer who is actually living and breathing and here in Baton Rouge.
0: We're speaking with Catherine Frady, Managing Director of Opera Louisiana, putting on a holiday performance, Amal and the Night Visitors, this Saturday and Sunday at the Manship Theater in Baton Rouge. Tell us about the balance for an opera company in a city of our size between performing classic opera repertoire and more modern operas.
3: Absolutely. So I think that, you know, we're looking at doing two shows a season right now, and I hopefully would like to raise that to three shows a season and one holiday opera, but we're going to start mixing it up. So this will be probably the last time to see them all in the night visitors in the very soon future. So next season, we'll try a new holiday opera and then also looking at some classical pieces as well. So I think it's really important to have a balance between, you know, the traditional operas and the new operas so that There's a little bit of something for everyone.
0: Opera Louisiana itself is a pretty modern company. It was founded in Baton Rouge in 2007. Tell us about the effort to bring opera to Louisiana's capital city. What does it take to support a performing arts institution like this in a city of Baton Rouge's size?
3: Oh, my goodness. What does it take to support it? Well, it takes a lot of people. Uh, We have an amazing board who loves the arts and loves opera, you know, a staff that's working very hard every day. And, you know, the people in Baton Rouge coming out to see the performances is a huge way that they can support the opera company. Uh, I always think that it's an amazing opportunity for any city to have arts organizations. And Baton Rouge has the symphony and they have the ballet and they have this opera company. And Opera Louisiane really wants to be a part of that integral arts culture in in the community.
0: And tell me a little bit more about the ensemble and the, the cast of this opera.
3: Absolutely. So, we have about 24 people in the chorus, and they're all local singers. Um, some of them go to LSU, and some of them live here year-round. And our cast is a principal cast of six. We have Sammy Vaughn, who is singing the role of Amal, and she is a high school student in Baton Rouge and has performed some musicals with Theater Baton Rouge as well, so might be a friendly face to our audiences. We are bringing in uh, Dennis Jesse, who is local to Baton Rouge and has been seen on the Upper Louisiana stand Stage several times. He's a fantastic baritone. He performs all over the world and also teaches at LSU. He's playing one of the kings. Sarah Kriger, um, she's a mezzo-soprano who will be playing the role of the mother. And Maurice Hendricks um, is also coming in from Tennessee, from Knoxville, Tennessee, to play King Balthazar. And we have Hinaro Mendez to sing King Caspar, And Frank Convy, who has also been seen at Opera Louisiana before, um, he is coming in from New Orleans to sing. So a variety of locals and um, professionals from out of town.
0: And finally, can you tell us how we can get tickets to this Saturday and Sunday's performance of Amal and the Night Visitors and learn more about Opera Louisiane's season?
3: You can find tickets at our website, operalouisiane.com backslash tickets.
0: Catherine Frady, managing director of Opera Louisiane, which performs Amal and the Night Visitors this Saturday and Sunday at the Manship Theater in Baton Rouge. Thanks for being here today.
3: Thank you so much.
0: And that's been Louisiana Considered on a Wednesday. A thank you to our guests today, Robert X. Fogarty with the storytelling organization Dear World, and Ashley Hubner, a high schooler in Newtown, Connecticut, survivor of the Sandy Hook school shooting. On tomorrow's Louisiana Considered, tune in. Carl Engel will have a conversation with Oxner about nursing workforce development. Also a conversation about luthiers and the building and repair of stringed instruments throughout history. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Thomas Walsh, and today's engineer is Aubrey Purcell. You can hear Louisiana Considered Mondays through Fridays at noon and 730 in the evening. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Adam Voss.
3: Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Tulane School of Public Health.